So we're going to begin to read from Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. Now, a good title, or a good, I should say, the title of the message is Famine in the Land. But a good uh, common quote or common phrase that we use um, that could be... Um, called for as we begin this study is desperate times call for desperate measures. Obviously, Jacob's here in Canaan. It would not be his first preference to go to the heathens in Egypt, but he hears that there is grain there. And so he is going to send his family, his sons, to go on this mission of mercy to find food for them. So let's read the first eight verses of Genesis 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. It doesn't get much more desperate than that. Um, and remember, the only thing that Jacob and the family are thinking about right now is survival. The last thing they're thinking is that they might run into their brother Joseph at this point. Because as far as Jacob is concerned, Joseph is dead. And as far as his brothers are concerned, they have no idea what happened to him. And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was, the sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them, but he made himself strange unto them and spoke roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And it, it's interesting that it restates this twice that Joseph knew his brethren, but they didn't know him. And I think the significance of that is um, a couplefold. First of all, Joseph is no doubt dressed in the garb of the Egyptians, and not just the garb, but the royal garb of the Egyptians. And second of all, Joseph was very young when he was sold into slavery, possibly 15 in the 15 to 17 year old range maybe a little older but still very young compared to many of his brothers and so he he knew his brothers as full grown men but they did not know him that way and so it's underscored for us that these brothers did not know that that their brother was now the second in command in all of Egypt and it's interesting that in this desperation, 
they come to Egypt to seek grain of this wise ruler that they heard about in Egypt. It's also interesting that we still see um, Jacob playing favorites. He still has his second favorite son, Benjamin, his youngest, the youngest of Rachel, the woman that he loved. And she died giving him birth. And so the last thing Jacob wants is for this young boy, who was a young man by this time, but in his mind was still his little boy, I'm sure, to go and put himself at risk on this journey. So he sends everybody else besides Benjamin. And as these brothers come to show themselves to the Pharaoh. No doubt they're in this long line, but you ever wonder what it must have been like for Joseph to see his brothers? These ten. And know who they were. But they did not know him. And I, I think about the fact in my first point here, Joseph's family goes to Egypt in desperation. Sometimes God uses desperation to work His will in our lives. When, when God wanted to grow the early church, He asked them to stay in Jerusalem until the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, but then He wanted them to spread out to share the Gospel. And he used persecution to accomplish that goal because as they were persecuted and driven from Jerusalem, they went into the uttermost parts of the earth to spread the gospel. And many of the disciples were martyred for the gospel's sake. And so, this desperate time brought these sons of Jacob, the future of Israel, down to Egypt which we'll later find is for the saving of their very lives and the preservation of the nation. But we see that Joseph sees his brethren and knows them. And I think it's interesting, it says Joseph was the governor over all the land, and he it was that sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew not that he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spoke roughly to them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And I, I, I always used to puzzle over this, and I still do to a degree, why did he speak roughly to his brothers? From what I can gather, it was not an abuse of power, it was not a power trip that he had, but he wanted to test where his brothers were as far as their character. Had they improved, had they changed, had their hearts softened toward what they did, 
their father. And ultimately, he wanted to know the full welfare of his family. And and I think he figured if he revealed himself too early to them, then he wouldn't get the information that he desired. And so he chose to withhold this knowledge. And his brothers said, We come from Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brothers, but they knew not him. And I think about this part, it says, Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the earth. Do you remember what happened when Joseph was a 17-year-old boy? He dreamed a dream. And in that dream, his brothers bowed their faces to the earth before him. And this dream was, was coming true. He obviously, in the impetuousness of youth, um, was not necessarily wise in how he shared it with his brothers, but it nonetheless was coming true. I wonder if we could look by way of cross reference at Psalm 118.17. Psalm 118.17. Somebody gets that if they could read it for us. Yeah. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And I, I think this is a significant uh, verse because as far as the uh, brothers knew, Joseph was dead. They had sold him into slavery, and they sold him into slavery out of desperation too. Remember, he was the favorite brother. They hated him. And the more he dreamed and the more he told them and the more he told on them, the more he hated them, or the more they hated him. And so out of desperation, they sold him to slave traders. Only because Reuben restrained their hand from killing him. But because of God's faithfulness, Joseph was there as the ruler of Egypt. We've already talked a lot about the ups and downs that Joseph went through along the path. It's not an easy life going from a slave or going from a favored son to a slave to the head of all the slaves where his master had implicit trust in him to a prisoner of false accusations to the head of the prison to being forgotten in prison, to being remembered and made a ruler. It's quite the up and down path. And yet, I'm sure Joseph can echo that psalm, I shall not die, but shall declare the works of the Lord. And that's exactly what he'll do as we continue our study, because he will later say, what you intended for evil, God meant for good to save many people alive. And I found this story about how God turns bad into good and how the events of our life shape us. 
not sure of the source on this, but I found it as I was looking for illustration, and it says this, in December of 1852, the president-elect of the United States, Franklin Pierce, traveling with his family on a train, was wrecked at Concord, New Hampshire. Several of the passengers were killed, and among them the young son of the president-elect, a fine lad of 10 years, who died in his mother's arms. The accident was thought to be due to dereliction of duty on the part of an intoxicated brakeman, and some of those who had received injuries or who had relatives had been killed in the disasters brought suit against the railroad company. But Mrs. Pierce, the devout Christian, would not permit the president-elect to become a party to the suit. On the contrary, she had she had him secure the services of a famous lawyer, Benjamin Butler, to defend the railroad on the grounds that she regarded the disaster and the great personal sorrow that it brought to them as a special providence Better to prepare the president elect for the high office to which he was shortly to be inaugurated. So in Franklin Pierce's wife's eyes, this loss of a son, tragic though it may be, contributed to making him fit for the presidential office. I don't know much about Franklin Pierce, so I can't say whether that is true, but it is evident that the wisdom that Joseph learned through all the processes of serving his father, then serving Potiphar, then serving the warden of the prison, that all those things were preparing him to serve the Pharaoh. Every step along the way was preparing him for the ultimate destination that God had for him. And that's a comfort to me in a lot of ways, because sometimes I feel like life life stands still and there's not much going on. But I know that God has a plan for each of our lives. And I rejoice to see Him working out His will in my life. And to be able to serve Him with every day that I live. And thank Him for His mercy on the times when I fail in that regard. So as we move along... We see in the second part, we've already alluded to it, but the second point I have is Joseph's dreams comes true. Let's look at Genesis chapter 42, verses 9 to 16. Genesis 42:9 says, And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them, and said unto them, You are spies, to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but, we, but to buy food are thy servants some. We are one man's sons, we are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, you are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man, in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, This is that I spoke unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby you shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go forth hence except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And so again, Joseph is making his his brother sweat a little bit here. 
I think he wants to to see if they are contrite about what they've done. They seem to be pretty humbled at this point. He accuses them of being spies and they say, we are one man's sons. We are true men. And then I like this phrase, thy servants are no spies. A few years ago, they never would have thought that they'd be bowing before their brothers. They hated him. They wanted him dead. And yet, now they are bowing in subservience to him. Because they realize his place of authority without realizing who he is. All they know is this man has food and they need it. And then they start to give him the information that he wants. He said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is to stay with our father, and one is not. So he verified a couple different things there. He verified that all of his brothers are alive, the ten that are there, Benjamin's still alive, and their father is alive as well. So he learned this information. And then he says, Hereby shall you be proved. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go forth hence, except your younger brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him touch your brother, and you will be kept in prison that your words may be proved. Whether there be any truth in you or else, by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. So of course he wants to see Benjamin. He probably longs for Benjamin even more than the rest of his brothers because they were the brothers of one mother. So my guess is that they were pretty close before Joseph left. And so he wants to he wants to see this brother and of course see his father who he hasn't seen for years. I can't imagine being kidnapped and taken away from my family, from everything I knew, and, and be gone for years, and then finally realize that you have the chance to be reconciled, to be reunited. Every once in a while there will be a story on the news about someone who was kidnapped years ago and then through a miracle, their family is brought back together. There's perhaps nothing more exciting than hearing those stories. And this is the one that unfolded in the Bible. In a way none of them were expecting. Here we can look at um, Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, 5-9. We're just going to take a look briefly back at these dreams that um, Joseph had and uh, reflect on that a little bit. So Genesis 35, Genesis 37, 
Someone can read that. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in a field. We were binding sheaves in a field, and behold, my sheep arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And so we see Joseph, as I said earlier, in, in the impetuousness of his youth. He gets this dream from God and he shares it with his family. Um, and then he shares the second dream where his father and his mother even bow down. Or his father and others in the in the tribe and the family, and they bow down. His mother obviously was not alive at this point. But the point being that uh, this dream was coming true right before their eyes. They didn't know it at the time because they didn't know who Joseph was. But it's an encouragement to me. That when God gives you a dream and a vision for your life, if it's meant to be, if it's His will for it to come to pass, it will come to pass. Now, if I was plotting a, or I was planning a, a trip to the highest throne in, all, in any land, my preferred method of getting there would not be through uh, slavery and through uh, a prison. But that was the method that God used to refine Joseph and prepare him for this mission. And so we see this this dream coming true. Joseph has the power to either give his brothers food or withhold food. And as we move on, we'll see him exerting a little bit of power on them. But first I want to share this quote. Someone wants to ask Paul Harvey, the journalist and radio commentator, to reveal the secret of his success. He simply said, I get up when I fall down. That was definitely the secret to Joseph's success. When he was down, he looked up. And he trusted God. Over and over we read what phrase in this story. And God was with him. And God was with him. It's a refrain. It's repeated. A lot of times, we tend to like skip over repetitive things. But when God repeats something, it's because He really wants us to get it down. He wants us to understand that God was with Joseph. Alright, so now Joseph is going to teach his Brother's a little lesson here, and he's going to send them on their way with a little bit of an ultimatum. And in Genesis 42:17 it says, 17 and 24 we read, and he put them together in war three days, and Joseph sent unto them 
the third day, this do and live, for I fear God, if you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison, go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, and so shall your words be verified, and you shall not die, and they did so. And they said to one another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spoke I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore also his blood is required. And they knew not Joseph understand them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. So we see that Joseph, that they are having this conversation after having spent the three, okay, and then verse 24, and he turned himself about from them and wept, and returned to them again and communed with them, and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. So, so these brothers spent three days in prison, and then after they got out of prison, they're talking in the presence of Joseph, and they said, we're paying for our past sins. We're paying because he entreated us not to throw him in the pit, not to sell him as a slave, and we didn't listen. And now, God is requiring payment from us. And all this while, Joseph is hearing everything that's being said. He knows what they're saying. He grew up with them. He knows exactly what they're saying, but he's speaking to them through an interpreter, because he has yet to reveal himself to them. This is he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them. And then he took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. So he's going to keep Simeon in ward until they get back. Because he wants a guarantee that they'll come back with Benjamin. And I just think it's, it's so interesting that they're given this time in the prison to reflect on what they've done to their brother. And when they get out, it seems like they have learned a lesson because they're basically saying, we were wrong back these many years ago. And at this point, they're pretty sure he's dead. So they're just saying, because of us, our brother no longer is with us. And now we are made. We uh, therefore behold also is what is required of us. We're made to pay for this egregious sin that we did. And then he takes. Simeon and binds him and sends them on their way. You have to wonder what the brothers were thinking at this point. You know, because as far as they know, this is just some crazy Pharaoh's second in command in Egypt. They don't know anything about him. 
They just know what he commanded. So they have to be very unsure of what the future is going to hold. So I wonder if we could read Psalm 32.5. Psalm 32.5, if someone gets there, if you could read it for us, that would be great. So in this psalm, the psalmist is talking about the importance of acknowledging our sin before the Lord. Calling it what it is. And I think that's really what Joseph wanted from his brothers, was to acknowledge their sin. To confess it as sin. And so then he could know that he could move forward in reconciliation with them. Because if they were just as hateful as they had been, you know five, ten years ago, or however long ago this took place, uh, the reconciliation wouldn't go well. But he was making sure, hey, I want to see where you have progressed since we last spoke. And I think it's important for us to think about that too in our Christian walk, how God changes our sinful life into one of blessing. We've all done things that we're ashamed of if we were to show a slideshow of each person's life here on the screen. There would be certain slides that all of us would cringe at if other people saw them of us. But we serve a God who says that as far as the east is from the west, so far have I thrown your transgressions from you. And the God who never once forgot a single promise that he made to each of us also says, I will never remember your sin anymore. I always think that that's a great paradox. One of the greatest paradoxes in all of Scripture is that the God who will never forget, also refuses to remember. The God who will never forget also refuses to remember. What a blessing that is. Two brothers were once convicted of stealing sheep and in accordance with the brutal punishment of the day were branded on the forehead with the letters S.T. which stood for sheep thief. One of the brothers, unable to bear the stigma, tried to bury himself in a foreign land. But men would ask him about the letters on his brow and what they meant. Thus he wandered from land to land, and at length, full of bitterness, he died and was buried in a forgotten grave. But the other brother, who repented of his misdeed, did not go far away from his home. He said to himself, I can't run away from the fact that I stole sheep, and here I will remain until I win back the respect of my neighbors and myself. As the years passed, he established a reputation for respectability and integrity. One day, a stranger in the town saw the old man with the letters S.T. branded on his flag and asked the native what they signified. After thinking for a little time, the villager said, It all happened a great while ago, and I have forgotten the particulars, but I think the letters are an abbreviation of saint. 
Yes, that's it. The wonderful grace of God in the penitent and believing heart is able to change and transform the odious marking and scarring of sin into a badge of honor and beauty. What a blessing that that is the God we serve. Okay, so now looking at Genesis 42, 25, and 26, we see Joseph is going to send his brothers home without Simeon. Verse 25, Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. Now I find it interesting, not only did he give them their money back and the grain that they needed, but he also gave them provisions for the way home. Think about it, if he hadn't given them provisions for the way home, it's very possible that they could have really damaged the, the grain supply on the journey back. We don't know how exactly how far they went, but it was quite the journey. And uh, so they depart Egypt. And as we end today, I kind of feel like the host of one of those old-time radio shows who says, and there we leave our heroes. Stay tuned for next time. So next time we'll find out what happened with Joseph and his brothers. But I want to challenge you as we end that just as God works in the life of Joseph, just as he began to work repentance in the life of the brothers, so he can in you and me. He can make a new start, a new beginning for us as individuals, for us as families, for us as the town of Grand Rapids, for us as the state of Michigan, for us as the country of the United States, and for us as the world. But the only hope for all the world is in the person of one man, and that's Jesus Christ. Without Him, anything we do, anything we say, is vain. If I got up here in this pulpit, it wouldn't matter what good antidotes I had for you. If I wasn't preaching from the Holy Word of God, it would mean absolutely nothing. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God lasts forever. Could we read really quickly 1 Peter 3, 9? 1 Peter 3, 9. And then I have one final thing to share with you. And then we'll call it. But 1 Peter 3, 9, if you get there, share it with us. Now, Joseph could have turned his brothers away. He could have said, I'm going to give grain to every single person except my brothers who wronged me so long ago. They don't deserve any grain. But not only did he not do that, 
He gave them their money back. He gave them the grain free. And he gave them provisions for the journey. Why? Because despite his years as a prisoner and as a slave, he did not allow bitterness to become his reality. He showed the love of God anyway. And I just want to share quickly this poem. It says, Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human, be- anxious human beings rush and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And the born-again human's reply to the sparrow is, I believe I have a heavenly father I believe he knows just what I need. I believe he's able to relieve me. I believe he listens when I believe. I am sure his word can never fail me. I am sure he means just what he says. I'm sure he'll guide me all my days. Um, I can trust... Uh, I'm sure he'll carry out my promise. I'm sure he'll guide me all my days. I can trust him though I cannot trace him. I can... Trust him even in the dark. I can trust him for he is my pilot. I can trust him with my little bark. I will wait until he sends the answer. I will wait until he opens the door. I will wait until he lifts the burden. I will wait upon him evermore. I do praise him for he is my Savior. I do praise him for he is my Lord. I do praise him for his grace and favor. I do praise him for his holy word. And that's by uh, someone named E.C. Adams. And I thought that was a very poignant way to close our service today. Joseph's story is a very convicting one to me because Joseph went through far more trials, far bigger trials than I will ever go through. And yet, he never allowed bitterness to overtake his life. Those of you who know me well know from my testimony that there were several years when I did allow bitterness to overtake me, to hinder me in my mission for the Lord. I wasted nine years arguing with God, telling Him what I thought was better, saying that if I had a healthy body, then I could serve Him. And he was patient with me, but he finally said, you know, Andrew, you just got to get off the throne in your life and let me get on it so that I can do in you what you cannot do in yourself. So that I can reach people through you, so that I can do things in you that are exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. And I am a living testimony to the fact that God keeps his promise. If you don't know Christ today, I encourage you to cry out to Him. But also to call upon Him while He may be found. There is a time coming when God's day of grace will be over. You'll no longer have a chance to accept Him. But today is the day of salvation. If you plead the blood of Jesus Christ, you say, I'm a sinner, but I can't do this on my own. I don't have any merit to come to you, Lord. Then that's exactly where you need to be to come to Him. Be like the publican who beat his breast and said simply, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I pray that for each of you today, if you haven't already done so. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is with gratitude um, immeasurable that we come before you tonight. Lord, I just pray that you would be with each person here, that you would open their hearts to your truth, that you would help them to know that they know that they know that they are yours and you are theirs. Lord, thank you for this life of Joseph and be with us as we continue to study it in the weeks to come, Lord willing. Just help us to learn its lessons. Help us to be stronger men and women of God as a result of being in your word. Help us to realize that that's where the true hope lives. And above all, help us be ready to give an answer to every man who asks of the hope that lies within us. And help us to be people that will be asked. Help us to tell our faith how joyful we are in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.